What's happening, rock and rollers? This is your good buddy, Steve Brown, and you're listening to my pal, Joe Sibilia, on the Rock and Roll Coffee Show podcast. Turn it up and drink some coffee. Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode number 55. I am your host, Joe Sebelia, and tonight my guest is Jeff Tate, formerly of Queensryche. Now, Jeff has a project called Sweet Oblivion, which has just released their second release under the Sweet Oblivion name, and I gotta tell you, this album is fantastic. So I'll be talking to Jeff about Sweet Oblivion, I'll be talking to him about Queensryche, and of course his journey in his career in the music business. Now, don't forget, if you like listening to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, please be sure to follow us on all social media. That includes Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter now. You can find us at R&R Coffee Show or visit us on the website at rnrcoffeeshow.com. And don't forget to go over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to stick around after this conversation because I will be playing Another Change by Sweet Oblivion. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, is this Joe? Hey, Jeff. How are you, buddy? Hey, good. You doing hey, all right? Good. You doing? hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. How am I sounding to you? Well, loud and clear. Good, good. You never know with these things, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh... We're also dependent on the technology, but uh, oftentimes the technology isn't so dependent. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, you know, this is the third week in a row that I barely made it up to the show. Oh, I, is that right? Yeah, three weeks in a row. I had uh, I was at my kid's baseball game prior to this, and it ran late. So, But I made it. I'm here, and you're here, so here we are. Great. So we, you up in uh, Washington? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm uh, marooned here. <laughs> yeah, you were born in Germany, correct? I was, yeah. Stuttgart. How long were you out there? Uh, I was about five. Okay, and then, then you moved to Washington. I did, yeah. My dad was in the uh, military. So he got stationed uh, here in uh, Washington State. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about... Um, Actually, a bunch of stuff, so I hope you've got about five hours. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just kidding. You got your new album, uh, the Sweet Oblivion album is out now, um, which is fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you. And uh, But I want to get into a little bit of your history and then, um, you know, through your career. So when you were growing up, Jeff, I mean, was music in your family? Uh, yeah, it was. Church music, mostly. Um, uh you know, choir, that kind of thing. And uh, then when I was about nine years old, I started taking piano lessons. And uh, and then was I was cooked after that. Yeah, I got, uh, I was in music 
all through school, played in school band, school orchestra. Mm -hmm. And then later, you know, started moving into, you know, doing session work with uh, other musicians and, you know, trying my hand at rock music, which was kind of a, a new thing at that point. That was like the mid 70s. Okay. Okay. So you started with piano, though. Um, did you like playing yeah. piano at the beginning? Because I've heard a lot of people that start with piano don't really like it at first. Oh, no, I loved it. It was uh, It's an immediate instrument. You know, yeah. you don't have to have any kind of technique in order to make a nice sound. You right. know, like with a guitar, you know, you have to struggle with how to, all the fingerings and the positions and all this, and it actually hurts to play, yeah, you know. Yeah. Especially piano, when you're you know, learning. You just touch that key and you get an instant gratification, you know. Mm -hmm. It was uh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Did you always want to be in music, or what, what did you want to be when you were younger? Yeah, since I was about nine, I wanted to be a musician. Okay. So what, how old were you when you first got into your first band? My first band? Yeah, um, your band situation. probably 18, I guess. Okay. 17. I think it was actually the, the summer before my senior year. Yeah, so I was 17. Mm -hmm. And were you singing in that band, or what were you doing? I did. Yeah, I started out as a as a singer in that particular band, and then, but that was like the only band I sang in for quite a while. And I switched and I became the keyboard player in bands, and then started doing backup vocals and keyboards, and then then finally started doing you know lead vocals again after I had some some vocal training. Mm -hmm. So, did you get formal vocal lessons? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, how long did you do those? Still doing it. Do you? <laughs> something you, yeah, something you still do, you know, every, every day you work on it. It's, uh -huh. uh, it's, uh, it's a lifelong thing with uh, singing. Yeah, you got to keep working at it. Yeah, I mean, your voice is outstanding. And like I said, you know, the Sweet Oblivion album is fantastic and your voice still sounds great. So, I mean, what do you do to, to keep that up? Is there anything you do or is it just natural? Well, I work at it. You know, I try to sing hard every day and, um, you know, a couple hours a day, keep myself in, in shape, you know, uh -huh. um, I have to, I have to really, uh, discipline myself cause I, I sort of tend to skew towards, uh, drinking, you know, uh -huh. I like to, dr I like to drink <laughs> honestly. Yeah. So I have to kind of keep that in check, you know, someone find some kind of balance between, uh, being, you know, incredibly intoxicated or uh, able to sing really well. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, does the alcohol affect your voice, not by being drunk but or, you know, buzz, but just drinking it, does that affect your voice? No, it just, uh, you know, if I fall down, you know, or then slur uh, your words. That's, that's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be bad. <laughs> but it hasn't stopped me i mean i've fallen down many times and gotten back up you know <laughs> oh that's got have you fallen on stage oh yeah countless times oh my god can you remember a time that was really bad oh it's always bad when you fall down <laughs> it's always yeah. bad but has there been a time where especially you were just when like... there's especially when there's you know hundreds or thousands of people watching you and there's lights on you especially if there's follow spots following you oh my god <laughs> and you fall down that's got to be awful. yeah <laughs> well the i think it was uh 1985 we were touring with kiss 
and uh, they had a a very special stage show where they had this um, uh, I don't know how to what to call it. They, they called it the thrust, which was basically a a big stage that fit on the front of the regular stage. Um, this thing was on hydraulics, and it would lower down, and Jeez. so. It, it would be at a slope and it would go from regular stage height, which is about six feet down to like two feet off the ground so that you were like almost eye level with the audience. Right. And that was our performance stage when we were opening for kiss. Um, so we had to perform on this slanted slope of about, I guess about 6% slope. Ugh. And it was challenging, man. It was like, uh, it was all like metal aluminum grating, you yeah, know? Yeah. So if you fell down on it, it hurt, you know, I'm it would sure. like take your, take your skin off, you know? Like and, a cheese uh, grater. If you jumped up in the air, there's a good chance that you were not going to land in the same place you landed because you're on a, a free radical <laughs> angle, you yeah. know? So I was constantly falling down. I just <laughs> built it into my stage show at that point. And I just got used to it because <laughs> it could happen at any, any point, you know? Ugh. You start getting in poses when you're on the ground, just make it look like you meant to do that? Yeah, I just kind of made it look like I, I was just trying to cover the microphone and make sure it didn't you know, go boom, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, holding oh. it up in the air, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, so back to what we were talking about with your first, was that first band called Tyrant? Is that correct? No. Uh, um, the first band I was in, I was trying to remember this the other day, I was having a conversation with somebody about it. And I honestly can't remember the name of the band. It's, it has something to do with the word golden something. Um, golden something. I can't remember what it was. Tyrant was way, way later. That was about 79. Okay. Okay. And then when, then you went into a band called The Mob, which was basically Guys in Queensryche, correct? It became Queensryche, yeah. After we uh, decided to put out our own uh, EP as a on its own record label. We started our own record label called 206 records with our management, the Harris's then. And, uh, and then we had to change our name from the mob because somebody else had used it already. So it became kind of a, a bit of a, I don't know. It was, it was pandemonium trying to figure out how a band name is really tough to do. Yeah. Anybody that's ever tried it knows, you know, there's so many different options and nothing sounds good. Right. You know, how did you get Queen Trek? Where'd that come from? Uh, actually, uh, our guitar player Chris DeGarmo came up with it, and um, it's funny. the The story is is that Friday we got the call from our management that said, and they said you can't use the name. You got to come up with a new name. And we had just we had everything at the printing presses ready to go for the album, and uh, they said, look, you know, Monday you know, calls back with a new name, you know, you guys make a decision and, and come up with something different. So we had all weekend and everybody was kind of thinking about it on their own. And Monday, uh, we met up at rehearsal and Chris came in and he said, I think I have the name. And, uh, we had a, a song on our EP called queen of the Reich. Right. And, and, uh, he said, okay, so we take the first word queen, we call it Queens. Reich, Queen's Reich. What do you think? And none of us had anything better. And we said, okay, that, that'll do. You know, that'll be what it is. And then I think it took us a couple hours to kind of agree on how we should spell it. You know, right. and uh, 
that became the name. It wasn't really, wasn't a lot of uh, debate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to say, and it could just be because, you know, we're used to Queensryche now, but I think that would work better than the mob. Yeah, it's funny that it, we spent probably the first, um, maybe six years of our existence um, spelling it for people and pronouncing it for people and writing it down for people. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a, a new word, you know, nobody yeah. had ever heard that before. So yeah, well, it worked. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Once you learn it, you got it, you know? Yeah. 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 Now when you guys were the mob, you were doing covers. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And then did yeah. you leave those guys because you didn't want to do covers? Well, it wasn't like I was bound to them with any kind of contract or okay. even a verbal agreement. We just got together to do, you know, play some parties and you know, play cover songs. I see. Um, I had been working with other bands all along with, uh, you know, that were writing original music. And that's where my, you know, my focus was on was, you know, writing my songs, you know, and working on original music. So mm-hmm. the... Uh, the decision to you know focus on that wasn't a difficult one with uh, the mob wasn't you know they weren't working on anything original it was all mm-hmm. just you know pl- playing uh, scorpions tunes and that kind of thing you know right right but then uh you know over time you know uh chris came to me and said hey look we've been working on this uh this demo tape would you be interested in singing on it and it was a really cool uh, tape. They had three songs that were really strong. And uh, I suggested that we see if we can write one together, uh, which we did. We came up with The Lady Wore Black as the fourth, fourth song. And uh, so then we agreed. Everybody liked the idea. And we went into the studio and uh, recorded the, uh, the EP or the songs that would become the EP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the lady wore black was your first song you guys actually wrote together. Well, the first song that Chris and I wrote together, yeah. Okay, okay. And then, um, so is that what got you signed? Was that demo? Well, I think so. Yeah, it sold uh, well over sixty thousand copies. And, wow! Um, so that was a nice little calling card, I suppose you could call it, for the record companies to look at and you know think about how much more they could sell with their machine, you know, in place. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. This was, but, uh, our the- management, um, uh, was a, a couple, Kim and Diana Harris and, and Diana was friends with, um, uh, a woman who was, um, a disc jockey at one time on one of the morning radio shows in Seattle. Her name was Mavis Brody. And Mavis had left Seattle and went to L.A. and was working as A&R for uh, EMI. And so Diana called her up and said, I want you to hear my band. Would you come up to Seattle and we can have dinner, have some drinks? She can hear my band. And so uh, she, she came up and we sat in our rehearsal studio and we played her all of our songs, you know, like on 11. Right, <laughs> really right. loud. Right. <laughs> Just just her you have to and us blasting away and i always remember at the end of it you know we're in this like you know, tight little uh rehearsal room and uh you know with carpet on the walls and everything so it's yeah. you know dead and it's just hot and sweaty and i'm just covered in sweat <laughs> just drenched wet and 
Mavis stands up and she's got a big smile on her face and she said, thank you very much. That was really, really good. <laughs> and then she, then she left and went out with the Harris's and they went and had their, their weekend. And, uh, Monday we got a call then, uh, to get on the airplane and we were going to go to LA and sign a contract. Wow. So that kind of was, uh, a nice dream come true, really, you know? Yeah, yeah. So how long from the time you guys, the core group was together, did you sign that deal? Oh, within, um, oh, I don't know, actually. I couldn't tell you. It wasn't the too long, though, right? Really, because uh, the, the whole project, the demo project, lasted a really long time. It, when we After we had made the demo tape itself, you know, we sent it out to all the major labels and then didn't hear a word back from anybody. But we decided, well, you know, we, just because we haven't heard back doesn't mean that people aren't liking it and getting used to it and, you know, and wanting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just give it some more time. So I think nearly a year went by <laughs> you yeah. know, from the time we yeah. recorded it uh, to the time that uh, the Harris's got involved. And then once they got involved and we, you know, pressed up the record and sold so many copies uh, and Kerrang picked up uh, the record and they reviewed it and gave us a, a big, uh, you know, A plus review yeah. and things started rolling along. And then that's when the, you know, the record companies came knocking and yeah, so it was like a good year and a half, I guess, you know, the time okay. that's gone by. Meanwhile, we we were just working on new material and writing our second record, really, you know, at that time. So did you tour off of that, off of Queensryche? The EP? Yeah. Um, I think we did two or three select shows. Okay. Okay. And then went right in, like you said, you were writing for the warning. Yeah. Well, actually, no, you know, come to think of it, um, I'm getting lost in my yeah no worries that was a long time at some at some point we went on on a short tour we uh well our first show was in front of uh three thousand people at the paramount theater in portland oregon and then the next night we played seattle for three thousand people opening up for uh, this band called zebra Mm -hmm. and then our our third show was uh, in front of 10,000 people playing in front of Quiet Riot, and we got asked to, to join their tour, and that was when they had the uh, the big album Mental, Mental Health that yeah, came out, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So we did a, a run with those guys, and that was in the summer uh, across, I think, like the, the southeast and midwest of the United States. Uh-huh. Then, we, then we hooked up with Dio on the West Coast and did a West Coast run, uh, it was really cool. And then yeah. we flew out to the East Coast and hooked up with uh, Twisted Sister and uh, finished up the year on the East Coast. And then I think that was the end of our tour at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you guys were, I mean, for 1983, 84, that time, I mean, you were pretty heavy, as right? It was like, who else was comparable to you guys back then? I was a little young back then. I'm, I'm almost 50 now, so back then I was probably about... 10 or 11 so i wasn't really that you know what i mean so i don't know what was yeah. happening back there but who was kind of comparable uh, I, don't, I don't know who who you'd compare us to i suppose our first you know couple records uh were pretty derivative of our our metal influences at the time which 
were uh, you know Maiden and Priest and Scorpions and Van Halen and um, sort of more focused on perhaps on the, the new wave of British heavy metal that was okay. pretty inspirational to okay. uh, most of the guys in the band. Now, when you signed your first record deal, was that a multi-record deal, multi-album? Yeah, yeah, okay. it was seven, seven albums. Seven, okay, and you you fulfilled that, right, or close to it? Oh yeah, we did all seven. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, having that kind of deal is that um, I don't know. Does that kind of relieve a lot of pressure? I mean, I guess they could drop you anytime, right? Even though you have a seven record deal. Oh, I suppose so. It's it's always. You know, I never really thought about it, honestly. Yeah. It was a concern. Yeah. So then you come out with the warning, and how did that do? Do? Yeah. How? How? how... Oh. oh, fuck knows. I had no clue. <laughs> um, wasn't interested. No? No. It was a, a damn fun record to make. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was a life changer, actually. Uh, not because of the, the actual record, but the, what was surrounding it. You know, we, we went to London yeah, and uh, we worked with James, James Guthrie and uh, Michael Kamen, who had been you know instrumental in, in uh, producing and engineering and writing for um, Pink Floyd. And uh, it was a huge influence for Pink Floyd was a huge influence for Queensryche. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, this is like a, a complete reality shift going to a foreign country and hanging out and living there for eight months, working on a record, working in the best studios in the world with some of the most respected names in the, in the industry. Wow. And you know, I was 23 years old. Man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and was this your first yeah. time out of the country? Life was besides... pretty cool at that yeah. point. <laughs> was this your first, your first time as out of the country as the band? Mm-hmm. Man, it, it had to be a blast. Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty amazing times. Then you had Rage for Order came out, and that, that's where I pick up on Queensrÿche because mm-hmm. I I remember close to you was going to had a lot of MTV airplay, correct? Um, perhaps, yeah. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I remember that video on all the time, and that's how I found out mm-hmm. about you guys. And I think on that tour, you guys went out with Ozzy. Uh, yeah, we did. We toured with um, Bon Jovi and Ozzy. Bon Jovi, really? I didn't know. That. Uh, and who? Who else? Um, I can't remember who else. I know there's somebody. Oh, Rat. Yeah, okay. Rat. Yeah, those three three bands. I gotta say, Rage for Order and Operation Mindcrime are probably two albums that are in my top ten. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Rage for Order, I love that album. Um, now, when you ca- that came out in eighty, I want to say eighty six, right? Eighty six, so, yeah. So at that time, I mean, rock music was. I mean, you guys got lumped in with all those L.A. bands, but you weren't really that style. I guess it depends on who you were reading, whose opinion you were reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you, I mean? Do you think you fit in with those bands at that time? Fit in. Yeah, like in that whole scene in the I guess like you know, some call it the hair metal scene, but I mean you guys weren't really that kind of band, I didn't think. You know, uh Queensryche never was part of a scene. Mm-hmm. We actually kind of made an effort to not be part of a not scene. Either. You know? 
um, still to this day, I just abhor any kind of club. Yeah. You know, <laughs> connotations of anything. I just, I, I, I don't know, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so Rage for Order, how long did you tour on that album? Uh, I don't know, maybe four or five months, six months. It wasn't a, a big tour at mm -hmm. that time. Okay. We, uh, we were having like, um, issues at that point with our management and, um, there was a lot of, um, oh, just, uh, unorganization going on mm. within the band and the whole thing that finally kind of came to a head at the, at the end of that tour. And, uh, we parted ways with our management and were found ourselves, uh, you know, uh, just kind of ground to a halt basically, mm -hmm. uh, waiting for, you know, I guess it was a time of kind of research, you know, trying to find out where to go from there and, and, uh, talking with different people and, it all came to a, a nice happy ending when we uh, hooked up with uh, Q Prime management mm -hmm. at the time, Cliff Bernstein and Peter Minch. And they uh, they jumped in and we started working together and everything everything worked out great. They were a, a fantastic team of uh, people and really helped us uh, kind of reorganize our, our ship, you know, get it in shape, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So then after that, I mean, came your huge album operation mind crime which really took off i mean whose idea was that to come up with a concept album well chris and i've been working on the idea of a concept for ugh, several years since we really got together to start writing music um he was a, a super beatles fan and i was uh really into what they call prog rock you know bands yeah. like mm -hmm. uh Floyd and Genesis and Yes and and uh, bands like that and and uh, the concept album was uh, a, a format that uh, hadn't really been seen much in a while, you know. And uh, but we were both big fans of telling a story with our music. Um, we just didn't have a story to tell, you know, until Mind Crime and. Uh, and that was my contribution. I came up with a storyline and uh, brought it to the band, and and uh, that was the the beginnings of the um, of the the mind crime story, really. Uh -huh. And uh, it it was a slow goer, you know. It didn't really catch on right away um, until uh, we made a video, you know, for the album, and then of course. That, at that time, you know, MTV was enormous. And yeah. that kind of exposure on MTV that we got with uh, Eyes of a Stranger uh, really just changed everything for us, you know. So when you were... And, and, it, and then we went, you know, on some pretty, you know, high-level uh, visible tours, you know, with uh, opening for Def Leppard and the, during their Pyromania tour and, and uh, touring with Metallica when they had uh, justice for all. So we had a, a lot of, um, visibility, you know, at the time. Yeah. So when you finally come up with the story for operation mind crime, I mean, is it difficult then to write songs about the story? Oh no, I think it's, it's easier actually, it? you know, cause you have a outline to work with and you, you know, 
kind of what's happening in the story. So it, it kind of helps you uh, know what to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I could have sworn I heard a long time ago that you were thinking of a mind crime film. Am I wrong on that? Oh, people have approached me about it many times over the years. Okay. Is that still something that is maybe possible or no? Oh, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. I suppose so. If it, uh, it's, uh, it's been almost a movie several times, um, over the years. It's, it's funny with stories for films. Uh, it takes years sometimes for things to be made in the film, you know, right. There's so many channels that has to go, the script has to go through and then, uh, different companies buy it. They buy rights to it, and they have certain amount of time in order to own it until they turn it into something. If they don't, then the the, uh, the story goes back to the originator. You know that kind of thing. It's, right. it's just it's a whole different thing than actually saying, "Okay, hey, let's make an album. Sure, you know, let's make a record." That's that's really cut and dried and easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Making a film is very convoluted. Yeah. Have you ever worked in film? Uh, yeah, worked with uh, Michael Kamen, um, scoring the uh, uh, God that Schwarzenegger film, Last Action Hero. Oh, okay, okay. What what did you, you had a was it Last Time in Paris? Was that in that movie? Uh, we had a song on the uh, soundtrack called Real World. Okay, all right. I'm mixed up there. What was uh, Last Time in Paris was in a movie, wasn't it? That was. That was in a, a film. Um, what was that in? Uh, oh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Yes, with Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. Yes, okay. yes. Okay. That's what I remember it from. Okay. And then, uh, so back to Operation Mindcrime. Um, I saw you guys, I think, I want to say twice on that tour. Did you tour on the Hysteria tour? With Def Leppard? Was it Hysteria, not Pyromania, or did you... Oh, yeah, maybe it was Hysteria. Because you guys were it's in the, the one round. With, it was the one with Pour Some Sugar on me. Yeah, that yeah. The, uh, hysteria. hysteria? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was that, that album. So, I, yeah, I saw you on, the, on that show and then uh, opened for Metallica on the Injustice for mm-hmm. All tour. Those tours, like you said earlier, were huge tours. I mean, that had to be tremendous for you guys. Yeah, I think it really was. Yeah, it was a, definitely a, a wonderful experience. Uh, you know, any time a, a headliner, you know, has an opening act that they invite on the tour, uh, you know, they're sharing their audience with you, you mm-hmm. know, as the opening act. And that, that's a, a wonderful um, gift they're giving you, basically. They're yeah. allowing you to, you to perform in front of their audience. And because they like what it is you do, you know, uh, enough to, uh, think that their audience is going to like it too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a wonderful gift. I've, I've uh, always uh, been very appreciative of the bands that we've opened up for over the years. Mm-hmm. Did you guys do a headline tour on that album or, or what? No. Um, what's that? You're talking about mind crime? Mind crime. Yeah. I think we might've done some one-off shows. Yeah. Okay. We never really did. Uh, our own touring until um, the Empire album came out. Yeah, I mean, Empire was, I mean, that was bigger than Mindcrime, I believe, right? Well, yeah, it was in the sense that it sold more uh, records. Uh-huh. But, uh, 
I think Mindcrime has eclipsed that now. I think, I think it's sold more albums. Uh-huh. I know Mindcrime 2 is, uh, is huge, too. That one's really sold a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. So when you're writing albums like Operation Mindcrime and Empire, I mean, do you expect them to do as well as they did, or are you not sure, or are you hoping they do? I mean, what, what are you thinking at when you're writing these albums? Do you know their hits? I never really think about that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Just kind of write the songs and go with yeah. it? Yeah. I get into the music, and you know that's where my head is at. Mm-hmm. I'm into telling. I'm into telling the story and creating the the soundscape, and uh, you know that's where my focus is. Mm-hmm. And then what happens after that is really up in the air, and nobody knows. You know. Yeah. So- I remember having this uh, conversation with the president of EMI at the time, um, a couple years after the. Uh, success of uh, the Empire album. I said, Jim, what did you guys do with that record? You know, how, how was there some kind of special formula you guys had in place? You know, uh, what happened? Why did that record just blow up? And he said, No, we just got out of the way. <laughs> yeah, know? and just let the songs you go. Know, we, we were smart enough to recognize when something is uh, can do well or just doing well. And so, you know, we have deep pockets and we just, you know, throw the money at it and, you know, uh, it, it has a life of its own. It takes off. The more money you spend on it, you know, of course, the more exposure it gets and uh, the more people hear it, you know. Yeah. And if, if it's a good a good piece of work uh, or it has something about it that, that grabs people, it will do that on its own, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what he uh, said. And I, and I think that's very true with anything, you know. I mean, you're talking EMI at the time that, we spent uh, $6 million promoting the Empire album. Wow. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. Average, the average promotional budget on a record nowadays on a major label is like $6,000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had, what, like seven singles off that or something? Six or seven? I think so, yeah, six or seven. That's almost the whole album. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you just releasing singles, just saying, ah, do another, do another. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. They, you know, every you know month they'd say, "Hey, we're thinking about this as a single. What do you think?" Sure, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> oh man! So during this time, this was around what ninety, I believe, when Empire came out. Yeah, early it came 90s. out in ninety, and then kind of really hit hard in ninety one. Okay, so you guys, so this album was kind of out right as the the whole Seattle scene was coming on. But you guys were already a Seattle band. Um, Yeah, we were from Seattle, yeah. Yeah, so the the whole grunge came on. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about when that whole sound came in and they saw it coming. Did you guys see that sound coming? The sound? Yeah, did you see it? The sound was the same as all rock bands. You know, just maybe tuned down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of promotion that groups were having at that point, uh, especially the Seattle bands that were coming up, uh, was phenomenal. The, the the guys at Sub Pop and and, and these indie labels that were uh, so vocal, you know, they were really really smart marketing people. And they did a, a wonderful job in establishing this 
sort of mock genre, really, if you will, because grunge isn't really a, a thing. It's mm-hmm. just somebody's catchphrase, you know, right, right, to just to describe a tuned down guitar, you know, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but you know, Soundgarden had had opened up shows for us. And, We've been on the same festival circuit as, uh, you know, Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam. And, uh, you know, they were good rock bands, really yeah. good rock bands. And I'm, I'm so happy that they all got uh, recognition for what they did because they did some great work. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, when did um, Chris leave the band? Chris Turner left the band in 97. 97. Okay. So he did yeah. what? Promised Land with you after that? He did, he did the last uh, record of our EMI uh, contract, which was uh, Here in the Now here Frontier. The now. Right, right. Okay. And why why did he leave? Oh, I don't know. You'd have to ask him that. <laughs> okay. Do you still talk to him? No, no not no. in years. No. Okay. Moving forward, you guys did a few albums. I mean, Q2K, um, trying to think of the other ones. What was Tribe, I think was one, correct? Uh Uh-huh. But at that time you were on, I mean, you bounced from Atlantic to Sanctuary. Um, Who else were you with? Rhino. So you were bouncing around different record labels. I mean, what uh, what was happening in the band at that time? Were you guys just trying to just make the best records you could at the time? Or, I mean, what... What was going on in the band? Oh, oh, God, we were just having a great time spending the enormous amount of money that we got from each record signing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and continuing to make records and tour. And, uh, you know, it was uh, nothing changed other mm-hmm. than, you know, some of our personnel changed at, at different times. Yeah. Uh, you know, after Chris left, you know, it was uh, a bit of a scramble, honestly, to kind of figure out what to do because he was uh, kind of large and in charge of a lot of things within the band, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so once we figured that out and, and who was going to do what, uh, we just kind of continued on and we uh, brought in Kelly Gray to take over Chris's guitar parts. And uh, Kelly was very successful producer engineer at that time. And he kind of uh, uh, fit right in because, of course, he and I had been playing music together since '78, I guess. Various okay. projects and all, and uh, and Michael and Kelly grew up together. Scott and Kelly grew up together, so he kind of fit right in with us uh, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And we made some really cool records uh, along the way with with him and. Um, and then later, without him, we had a guy named Mike Stone come in and take over guitar for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What happened after that? Oh, and then uh, Parker Lundgren came in and took over on guitar after a while. So then in, uh, let's talk a little bit about your your time at the end of Queensryche. That was what, 2012? Uh, 2012, yeah. Okay. Um now, when all that went down, I mean, did, did you, were you ready to leave the band at that time? Oh, I'd wanted to leave the band since, uh, 90. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, you know, it was such a successful entity and, uh, 
you know, it's, it's hard to walk away from something that, 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 uh, you know, you love doing and you, and you, sure. I mean, you put your heart into that. So I just kept at it. And, you know, my wife kept talking me to back into it and, uh, until it got to a point where, you know, it just wasn't going to keep going any anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now the way it went down, I mean, do you look back at that and think, man, I wish it didn't go down that way. You mean when the, the split happened and it all became very public? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I wish it had a, a bit more decorum. And uh, I, I wish it was handled, you know, less publicly. Yeah. Because uh, there was a lot of really bad stuff that was said. And, uh, you know, it didn't have to happen like that at all. Sure. You know, it, it was just a money grab is what it was. And, you know, people wanted to, you know... And the band wanted to make more money, you know. And if I was gone, then that would be my share. They got kicked back to everybody else. And, you know, they just expected me to walk away. But, you know, I couldn't do that because there's a value to what I do. And I have to be compensated for that. And sure. anybody, I think, would expect that, you know. So I said, well, no, you know, you need to pay me. If, you, if, you don't, if I'm not going to be, you know, in the band anymore, you got to pay me for what I am worth. And so I, I took them to task to it, and they didn't like that. You know, they yeah. were expecting me to roll over. So, you know, I, I, I swung back basically. Yeah. And that and that made them mad. So then they started, you know, retaliating by, you know, spreading a lot of negative press and saying a lot of negative things that weren't true. And mm-hmm. God, in the end of the day, you know, I sold them my share of the thing. They paid me for it. Right. You know, what's now, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it without me, without the name anyway. God, I can do it. I can continue on and do what I do, and I have done what I've done yeah. on my own. Uh, I don't need the name Queensrÿche to do that, but they do. Yeah, you know? I mean nobody's gonna, you know, pay fifty dollars for a ticket to go see Michael Wilton play guitar. Right. You know? Right. I mean, this. I'm not saying that to be a dick. It's just reality. Sure. Yeah. You know? He I mean, needs the name Queensryche, right? Right. I mean, what is there? There's two original guys in the band now, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Honest, I honestly don't pay much attention to what sure what they're doing because honestly, you know, that is uh, it. It's long done for me. Sure, you're past that. Yeah, now. yeah it's been almost ten years. Yeah, years, you know. Yeah. Well, you know what. Let's get past that and get on to your sweet oblivion stuff. Because there you go. <laughs> um, so your this album just came out what a couple weeks ago. Your new album? Uh, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I finished it last summer. Yeah. So. so did COVID hold this up? The release? Uh, not that I know of. No, it didn't affect you. No, I I finished my parts and everything I was doing on it last summer when I was in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, what's why, why it hasn't come out up until now? I don't know. I mean, that's probably just Frontiers. You know, they're uh, fitting it into their fiscal calendar. You sure. Know? Now, this is an interesting. I, is this a project, or I would probably call it yeah. a project, right? It's a project that I asked to do, be part of. Um, you know, when I ended my time with Queensrÿche, I was looking to. Uh, 
work on different projects with different people. I wanted to collaborate with different artists and different producers because I've been working with, you know, the same bunch of guys for 30 years. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, needed, I needed a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I had, uh, I had done a, a record with uh, Frontiers and I was talking to, I think it was Mario from Frontiers. And I said, look, I, I want to work with different people, you know, and if you got any kind of projects that come up that uh, you think that I might fit on or, might be interesting could you let me know and um you know i'd really like to do some different things and so oh, a couple years went by and he called me up and said hey i got this project it's called sweet oblivion and this is what you do you just kind of meet up with these guys uh and see if you can you know pass around some ideas and see if something clicks and and kind of that's what we did and um we passed around ideas, uh, made an album and, uh, put it out. And now this is the second album right now that came out and it's with a whole different team of people, different musicians and different producer, uh, with this one. And I think I got a third one I'm going to do as well. And, uh, and right now I don't know who it is I'm going to be working with. So that'll be fun to find out. So kind they like just a, they just nice give you somebody, surprise. yeah. <laughs> so they just give you musicians. Yeah, Mario just you know picks somebody that he thinks might work with me well, or uh, there might be a nice chemistry that happens, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, he puts us together and see what happens, you know. Very interesting. That that's and and you just trust him too give you good musicians well i could i could i could always say no okay Okay. it's not just like here you go and off you go (laughs) no you know it's like you know well is this something that you you like you know because i think this might be cool what do you think yeah and it is cool because i like the way we work because we don't actually uh we don't actually sit in the same room right we work in different places different countries uh you know we we put everything we work in the virtual studio of the internet and uh yeah we build out this we build out the songs and everything in our own studios and and then put them all together in the virtual world and uh it's fantastic it's a great way to work like uh this this newest album i was in ireland all last summer and uh my wife and i rented a, a cottage there and and we were uh just sitting there and hanging out in Ireland. I was working on the record during the day and and then we were outside seeing some days and uh, hitting the pub every night and uh, we have friends and family there so we did a lot of visiting with people and it was great. And, uh, and Aldo, my producer, he was in uh, Italy at the time working in his studio there and we just, you know, pass ideas back and forth until we had um, the songs the way we like them. Is this the first time you've worked that way? Was with this project? No, um, the last project I did it that way too. Uh, um, and then, gosh, I, I've been kind of working this way. Eesh, I guess since uh, Promised Land, you know, Promised oh, Land really? was done. A lot of that was virtual uh, studios, working in different studios. You know, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah. So since about ninety four, I guess, okay. back and forth. Okay. Do you have a studio at your house? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So that, I mean, that's, that in itself is just a money saver, right? You're not paying studio fees. You're not, 
You're not paying all this extra oh, money. Well, well, there's really no reason to go to a, a studio studio anymore. Yeah. Like what people think a studio is because we all have them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, everybody's so, got one you know, now. It, 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 really, you go, you, you work in the studio that you're comfortable in. You know, and if that's someplace else with somebody else's gear, cool. You know, whatever you need to make your scene work, you know. Mm -hmm. I like the gear I've collected and that I use and I'm I'm proficient on it. I know how to you know, I know what sound I want when I want it and how to get it and make it work, you know, and, and uh so it's just easier and more productive for me to work work that way, you know. Yeah. Do you do you like recording in the studio? Or do you prefer live? What, what's your preference if you had to pick one? If I had to pick one, I'd yeah. pick studio. Pick studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, some people. I work in, I work in my studio about five days a week. Okay, just working on new stuff. Working on new stuff. Yep, adding to my uh, vast library of of uh, songs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how many songs do you think you got? Oh God! Well, I have uh, two hundred and twenty published songs, and I probably got mm, close to close to two hundred unpublished pieces really? of music that are yet to be released. So you could you could release a shitload of albums. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're all set, ready to go. And I and I plan on. And I plan on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the, over the next 10 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to put out, uh, you think you'll do another solo album? Just like, you know, not Sweet Oblivion, but just Jeff Tate? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm about due. It's been 10 years. I guess I should release another one. <laughs> I don't really know what uh, what what they're going to be called anymore. I mean, a lot of people aren't releasing albums anymore. They're just releasing songs and every month or so you know yeah over a year they'll, re they'll release 12 songs over a year you know that's kind of a cool idea yeah I'll you like that like idea that. i mean i mean that would make more yeah. sense right just release a song at a time yeah because i mean the, the whole concept of uh, a record was an old idea from you know back in the 40s and the 50s you know sure when when you record companies owned the music and they, they wanted to market this product that they owned. And so they, they had to create some kind of thing to sell it, you know, or call it. And, and, uh, so these are really old ideas that we don't need, really need to adhere to anymore. Right. You know? I mean, we're living in the 21st century and this is a fantastic time to be alive. I tell you so many cool things you can do nowadays and, uh, all from, you know, the comfort of your home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Have you seen the holograms? Any of those hologram shows? Like the yeah. Dio? Have you? Uh, yeah, I saw the, the deal one was uh, spectacular. Did Were you actually at a show? Yeah, yeah, I was at a show. My, my, my buddy, uh, Kelly Gray, uh, uh, was part of that tour. Okay. And, uh, part of putting that whole thing together from the audio standpoint. So how was that in the audience? I mean, how was that experience? You mean as a... Uh, when you were watching Watch, it. Watching it? Yeah. Watching it? I mean, did you feel like uh, it was... It was cool. Yeah, yeah. it was very cool. It, it, for what it was. I mean, if you were going there expecting to see Ronnie Dio performing, you know, you, you, you probably should uh, check your head, <laughs> right. you know? Because <laughs> uh, it wasn't Ronnie, you know? It was yeah. an image of Ronnie, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it had its 
it has its limitations sure. uh, due to, of course, technology. That, that I think that's going to get even more and more better as time goes on. Yeah. But uh, it was pretty impressive. And I saw the Michael Jackson one, too. Uh-huh. Uh, I, thought, I thought Roddy Dio's presentation was, was better myself. Was I thought it, it was uh, more, uh, more believable, more unique, and, and you, you forgot that necessarily it wasn't real. You know, you, yeah. Your belief was suspended a bit more, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, with with Ronnie's presentation. But yeah, it's a cool, cool idea. Now you and Ronnie were you were friends, correct? We were friends. Yeah, he's a pretty inspirational man to me. Uh-huh. Um, kind of a a mentor, if you will, mm-hmm. and um, was very, very, very supportive of Queensrÿche in our early days and. Uh, brought us on tour, exposed us to his audience, and uh, gave me a, a leg up, uh, inviting me to be part of the Hearing Aid project. Yeah, I wanted um, to mention that. And then, and then later we toured again um, with a solo project, and then later again we toured with uh, Heaven and Hell. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he also uh, sang lead vocals on uh, my Operation Mindcrime Two album. Uh, which was phenomenal song that he contributed to. I just love what he did with that. What song yeah, was that? Yeah, he was a. That was a song called "The Chase" from the Operation Mindcrime Two album. Chase, I haven't he listened plays to that the, album. Wow. Plays the part of Doctor X, and uh, he uh, he just did an incredible performance on that song. It's one of my favorite ones of his that I've heard. I need to go back and listen to that. I haven't listened to that in a while. The yeah, and then he did a he did a really cool performance, a guest performance uh, with us on the tour. Uh, when where was it? The Gibson Theater, the Gibson Amphitheater in L.A. Uh-huh. Yeah, he showed it. You should, you, it's probably on YouTube. You can see it. it's pretty pretty cool performance he did. Do you ever go back and look at YouTube performances of yourself that you never you've never seen before? Oh, hardly ever. Really. Sometimes, sometimes people will bring them to my attention, like my <laughs> one of my daughters or somebody in my band will go, "Hey, have you seen this?" <laughs> yeah, you. There's too. so much weird, weird stuff out there, and, and shows from oh god, I, places I don't remember playing, and yeah, just uh, there's so much stuff. Yeah, were you guys a party band on the road? I know you say you like to drink, but back in the day, were you guys partying? Oh, heck yeah. 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 And that absolutely. Had, that had to be so fun back then. It was it's fun nowadays too. <laughs> you still do it. Fun never stops. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sweet Oblivion, are you guys are you doing any tours with that or what's going on future wise? No, that's a that's a project. Okay. And, so um, gonna... I don't I don't believe I'll be I'm I'm booked right now up until Christmas of twenty three. So I, I don't oh, really have time to do anything else um, tour-wise with mm. another project. Um, maybe at some point after after we do a third album, maybe I'll do a special a special tour of, of those songs or something like that. I don't know. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really I really don't have any solid plans as of yet. Okay. Um, before COVID hit, you were doing an Empire Rage for Order thing, weren't you? 
Yeah, it was the 30-year anniversary yeah. of the Empire album. And we were playing the album in its entirety uh, and opening uh, our show with uh, Rage for Order in its entirety. Wow. A really cool show with an intermission. And uh, it uh, it had a lot of energy and a lot of really cool stuff going on with it. And, uh, yeah, that, it was such a shame with uh, having to shut it all down. You know, and then postpone it, and then change the dates multiple times. Oh, what a pain in our, the ass! Huh? Our, our agents and everybody's agents going crazy at this point, trying to predict when everything will open up, and all the different markets are opening up at different times. You know, like we have dates uh, right now starting uh, next month here in the Northwest. We have two dates, and then we have uh, then we go to the UK in uh, July and August. And that's mm -hmm. really when things start really opening up and, okay. uh, by fall. I think things are really going to be back in the swing of things, you know? Now, are these shows full capacity shows or are they still limiting the attendance? Um, it depends on where you're at, you know, okay. in the, in the United States, of course, the States have so much power and, you know, we're, uh, Every state has its own laws and rules. Like yeah. We did a show in Florida um, back in December, and that was for half, 50% capacity. And then, um, then we went up to uh, New Hampshire and did uh, a series of shows there because they required uh, so few people in the, in the venue that we had to split the show up in, like, quarters, you know? Hmm. So we had to actually do... Uh, we performed a uh, an afternoon show and an evening show, oh, geez. <laughs> which was really something. I haven't done that since Japan back in the <laughs> early '80s. You know. Yeah. So when you're getting yeah. prepared to do this tour, I mean, I'm sure you had to go back and relearn some songs. Uh, a couple things. Yeah. Yeah, I had to because uh, primarily because I had never sung the song before. You know, on tour. Right. Uh, there's, there's quite a few songs on, on Rage for Order and on Empire that Queensryche didn't perform, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had to actually go back and go, how, how, how do we do this? You know, how did I sing this? Or what was I thinking here? You know. Right. Yeah. But it was really a fun tour. I, I really can't wait to get back to it because uh, it was really a treat um, playing that album in its entirety and, and playing those songs and actually witnessing the audience reaction to it every night was fantastic. Oh, they must have loved it. The songs, you know, and everybody's singing at the top of their voices and dancing in the aisles. And it's a, it's a really great feeling in comparison to say, uh, the previous couple of years I was touring the operation mind crime 30 year anniversary and mind crime is a, is a really cool experience, but it's, sure. uh, it's very violent and, uh, confrontational and, uh, aggressive, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's not a, a good time. Hey, we're all singing the songs together kind of thing. No, it's not, right, it's just right. filled with angst. Right. right. <laughs> and, uh, the empire show is, is a whole different feel, a whole different feel. It's, uh -huh. There's a lot of smiling going on and, you know, people are, you know, this was their music from their time and their life and they're they're They know all the lyrics and they live their life to a lot of these songs, you know? So yeah, they're just having fun. It's a whole, yeah, it's a, it's a whole different, uh, feel, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is a full band situation, correct? Uh, 
what do you mean? That you that you're out on tour with. It's like a full, like the full band is with you. It's not just like a like a acoustic thing or anything like that. Oh no no yeah it's a yeah. full band. Okay. No no it's just me and a tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know nowadays. So I just want to make sure. Now I was look, I was looking at some uh, some dates, but you guys aren't coming to South Carolina, unfortunately. That's where I'm at. No. South Carolina must not be a great place to play because not many people come through here. <laughs> well, it's not as uh, it's not on par with like say West Virginia, right? <laughs> or Mississippi, yeah. or Louisiana, or Alabama. Those yeah. Kind of places. It's, uh, well, I'll it's be hipper than that. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm out in the Myrtle Beach area, so I'm gonna I'll be watching for it when you come close close enough that I can. Well, get Myrtle there. Beach is kind of a is part of the circuit. Does it still have the House of Blues out there? Yeah, that's still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a a place to play. That's a good place, good time. Yeah, well, get with your uh, your booking agent and uh, tell tell him Joe says you need to come to Myrtle Beach. Yeah, he'll he'll love me to say that. <laughs> like, oh, I could carry. Uh, I need to play Myrtle Beach. I know! <laughs> I'm working on it! <laughs> well, what else? What else you got going on? I mean, I think we've covered a lot of stuff. I mean... That's my life in a nutshell, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we could have yeah, went I'm, hours if we got really into it, but, you know, we try and keep it to an hour. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, actually just uh, working on new music right now and working on a couple side projects that I got going on and... Um, that hopefully it will come out in the year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my band uh, flies in in a few, uh, couple, uh, about a week and a half, and we're going to start rehearsing for these upcoming shows that we have. Okay. But pretty much that's it. I'm, I'm just uh, at home enjoying the sunshine and being home for once in my life. Yeah. You know, I mean... in, two, in 2019, I was, I was in my own bed sleeping in my own house for 23 days throughout the whole year 23 days that's it yeah so um and that's the way my life has been you know for the last 10 years i've just been you know putting pedal to the metal touring right so this covid thing has been really bizarre for me because i'm used to go 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 different city every day you know traveling 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 and, and now i'm like i wake up i'm in the same place you know yeah oh my god freaking out <laughs> The, the, the wife wasn't trying to get you out of there. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of liking it now. I've got, I've kind of adjusted, but it's taken me, I don't know, five months. You know, uh-huh. of uh, I wake up every day, look out the window, expecting to see something different, and no, it's the same scene. <laughs> you know? Oh man! Um, hey, yeah. you know what I wanted to ask you too? You still have your wine? I do. Yep. What Insania? So, I mean, do you have your own vineyards and all that, or how, how's this yeah. working? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Our uh, our wine is uh, grapes are grown in uh, southwest Germany in an area called Alsace, which is uh, one of the major wine regions of uh, of Europe, and uh, we make it there. And uh, every year we have a huge harvest uh, festival party, usually around the end of October, and. Uh, People are welcome to come. We play a show oftentimes there. Uh, you can come pick the grapes if you want. Um, hang out, drink some wine, have fun. That sounds like a blast. It's really fun. Yeah. Huh. And then you also... Our, go ahead. 
Oh, I was saying our, our parties have gotten so big now because we keep having them every year that the town now, it's a small village. I think there's like uh, maybe 3,000 people that live there. Uh-huh. We take up all the hotels. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have to go Sold to other villages in order to put up guests, you know, yeah. uh, that come because there's not enough hotels in the in the in the, uh, in the village. <laughs> there's yeah. only two. <laughs> oh, geez. Now, you also do, um, I was saw on your website, you also do tours with uh, people. People can go on a on a tour overseas or, you know, sightseeing thing with you. Is that correct? Yeah. My wife and I started this business a few years ago called Backstage Pass Travel. And what it is is that people can sign up and come on tour with us and by that, it's usually a week-long tour. And uh, we take them to Italy. We take them to uh, France. Uh, we have the big show in um, in Germany every year. Um, we go to uh, the Pacific Northwest. We have one in Montana. Um, and it's pretty fun. We go sightseeing. And it likes, a lot of people, they want to go to Ireland, for example. Right. Uh, but they've never been out of the country and they're not sure what to do and what to go, what to see and what to, how they're going to get there. They're just unsure, right? Well, they can hook up with us and, and we take them to all the cool places. You know, That's awesome. we could take them to all the sites they want to see. We, we take them to uh, all the cool clubs that nobody knows about that only we do because we've been there so many yeah. times. Uh, we take them to the best restaurants and uh, the best experiences that they can, they can imagine, you know? And it's, uh, it's usually the tours are surrounding music in some way. Either I'm playing uh, on tour and we, we have one of our shows that's happening during that week where we invite everybody out. Or um, I have a lot of musicians that are part of my, my team of people that, that entertain all the guests. And uh, there's always like, you know, the pub sing-along. Uh, we lock out a pub and it's just us, our group of, you know, 22 people there and we're drinking and singing songs telling stories till you know dawn yeah uh, before we have to crawl out and go see you know the the sites of the cliffs of mohair and not and try not to fall off the edge of the cliff you know <laughs> that kind of thing it's pretty rock and roll <laughs> man so fun i mean you got to be yeah, having it's, a blast. it's very fun it's very fun yeah well man all right jeff well listen man i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight um and have this conversation my pleasure joe it was great talking to you my pleasure um, yeah good talking with you and uh let's let's do it again sometime yeah definitely man hey i'm gonna uh play one of your new songs um off the new album sweet oblivion i'm gonna play that for the listeners if that's okay sure okay so we're gonna play this but hey hang on the phone for a second jeff okay and then uh that's it <laughs> Okay. All right, Jeff. Thank you. You bet. I won't let you go. 